and then turn over, there we go, Psalm 92, and then put, turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. We are going to be in both of those passages this morning. Really, we're going to be bouncing around just a little bit as we, uh, as we look at the question of when do we worship. Over the last, uh, as, as we've started summer, we've looked at this new sermon series, Worshiping the One and Only and understanding that God has called us to worship. And so if he has put this calling on our lives, if this is something that he has commanded us to do, then we should understand it well because it's easy for us to begin to make worship what we want it to be. We begin to define it the way we want to define it. We begin to practice it the way that we want to practice it rather than understanding worship the way that God has given it to us and the way that he wants to be worshiped. We talked about several weeks ago now that we worship not based on our own preferences and our own desires, but we worship based on his preferences and desires so that we may show him love the way that he desires to be shown it. And so this morning, we come to our next question, as I've already stated, when do we worship? Last week, we looked at where, um, and we talked about how the where answer kind of comes in two parts. We, we worship wherever the Lord is. We worship where his presence is. And as believers, we understand that his presence dwells with us. And so we, are, we can worship now anywhere. We don't have to go to a temple to worship because that's where his presence is. We have become the temple as individual believers. And so we can worship wherever we are. At the same time, we have been designed and called to worship together. And so on a regular occasion, we worship as the church together with one another, with fellow believers, that we may show the value of our God. This morning, we turn then our attention to when do we worship? When do we do this gathering? When do we show him the value um, that he has and so we'll, uh, we'll attempt to do that from these passages this morning. So if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, starting in Psalm 92 and then flipping over to Hebrews chapter 13. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever, for behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall, downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. 
They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. They declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Flipping over then to Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning again. We come with hearts of thankfulness and excitement over what you have done in creation, in giving us life and putting air in our lungs, in the work that you did on the cross and in the resurrection, that we may have a relationship with you, that we may be forgiven of our sins, that we may know life and know it eternal, that we We come to you thankful and in awe of what you are doing right now in our midst as we see others come to know you as well in that same relationship and know the joy of our God and our Savior as we see your hand at work in different ways in our church family and in our community as we see and think of the things that you have promised. We give thanks of a new creation, of new bodies, of an eternity in a place not corrupted by evil, but perfect in every way, a place where we will stand in your glory and in your presence in a way that we can only imagine. Father, we pray now that you would help us this morning as we look at your word to to grapple with this question, when do we worship? Father, I pray that we would understand your heart to be worshipped by your people and that we would desire to bring you joy. We ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at our passages this morning and we think about this question of when do we worship, we we look at first at something that many of us may read past. As you read the Psalms, you you need to understand, and you probably already do, that this is the hymnal of the Bible. That these words, originally written largely in Hebrew, were songs that would be used during worship services in the lives of believers in the Old Testament. That they were expressions of their gratitude for a Savior and a Creator And so at the beginning of many of these psalms are either instructions or titles, and Psalm 92 is no different. At the beginning, it says that this is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It was a a song that was meant to be used on the day of worship in the Old Testament, the Sabbath. So this morning, as we ask this question when do we worship, we have to come back to the Old Testament understanding of Sabbath and what that meant and why that was a day of worship. So we're going to spend a little bit of time there and then 
kind of move into why we do what we do today. But we start with what is Sabbath? If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and we see the beginning of Sabbath. This idea of a day set aside to be different from the rest of the week. In chapter 1 of Genesis, we have the creation of the entire universe. God speaks into existence all that we see and know and experience And he does so in six days, as recorded in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we have this recorded. It It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy Because on it, God rested from all his work and he had done in creation. And so we see the Sabbath created from the very beginning. This day set apart wholly to be different from the rest of the days throughout the week. It's interesting though, as we read the word rested, we often in the English language put with that a definition of taking off from work because of the need for a a break. We think about we rest, that we have been working hard and we experience exhaustion, and so we need to take a time away. But we understand when we think about God that he's all-powerful, and so surely God didn't need a break. Surely God didn't need a time to take a little nap on the seventh day so that he may regain his strength. So what is it talking about here? Well, when you read the original language, when you read the Hebrew, the idea of the word there that we translate as rested really means that he was refreshed. The picture that's painted is kind of God creating everything, speaking everything into existence, and then taking a step back and just enjoying what is there. The picture that comes to my mind uh, is, is a painter that she is completing this masterpiece and her nose is pressed right up next to the canvas and she does that last stroke of the brush and then she steps back so that she may behold the entirety of the project and she's just, yeah. Or maybe it's a, a woodworker, someone, a carpenter who, who goes through and, and he's working on a project and he puts that that last, uh, last hand brush of the, of the sandpaper or that last coat of, of stain and the project is finished and he steps back from the bench and looks at what he has created and takes pride in it and is refreshed by it and, is, and welcomes its presence. Maybe it's the gardener who sees the fruits of their labor or the builder of a house or whatever, a composer or a, an artist of of any sort or ilk, but we all have those moments of creation where we get done with a project and we step back and it's like, yeah, that turned out the way that I wanted. Yeah, that is that is good, and we it refreshes us, it energizes us, it gives us a feeling of completion and satisfaction and and pride. That's what kind of what we see here is as God rested on the seventh day. It's more this idea of refreshment, of of satisfaction, of having stepped back and seen all of creation, and he's able to declare it in that moment, it is good. Every single part of it, 
every little part of creation from the smallest molecule, the smallest atom to the largest star. It is good. And so he steps back and just enjoys what he has done on this day. And he sets it aside. He sets it aside as holy. He desires that not just he will experience this day of Sabbath, but that his creation, specifically humanity, would experience this day of Sabbath as well. And so we see in Exodus chapter 20, if you would like to follow along over there, we see in Exodus chapter 20 that he codifies the Sabbath. He puts it into law. He helps us to understand how to approach this day that is holy and set aside so that we may do it correctly, that we may observe it correctly. He says there in verse 8 of chapter 20 in Exodus, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So the Lord gives us not just this day that is set apart and different than all the other days, but he begins to give us some guidelines, some some attitudes that we are to have on this day, that we are to not work, to, to set it aside, for it to be different. In essence, we see that there are various things that Sabbath is to bring. It's to be a time of rest, to take a break from our labor, to enjoy the things that our hands have accomplished, and even more so to enjoy the things that God has accomplished, to rejoice, to be glad, to be excited about the things that we observe and see and wonder at. I think about, uh, we, we just got back from Arizona on vacation, and you see things that it's just a, a completely different landscape than what we experience here in Missouri. But one of the things that was really neat is, is it's so flat that you see so much more of the, the sky. The horizons are farther. And you, at night, you go out and you look and, and there's not as much light pollution. And, and you just sit there and you stare at the stars and you rejoice that you know the one that created each one of them and put them in their place and gave them a name. And it's just a, it's a magnificent thing to see and to experience Maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon, you've stood on the rim, and you've just marveled at creation. Or maybe you've held a child and experienced the miracle of birth and gave and rejoiced over, over what he has done. Or maybe you remember just what he has done in your own life and, and saving you, maybe in a physical way, or maybe and for many of you, I hope, in salvation. And it's just this moment of time when we put all of work aside, we put all the cares and the, and the things and the baubles of this world, and we say, that doesn't matter for a moment. We're going to worship God. We're going to rejoice in what he has done. We're going to be excited over these things. Sunday should be a day of of praise and, and joy. Shouldn't march into Sunday morning sober and with frowns on our faces, regretting that we had to get up early. No, we come in, we should come into these doors thinking about all that he has done. And yes, it's to refocus as well. 
I don't know about you, but six days of the week, often it's easy for me to get maybe off track a little bit, for me to worry about the things of, that are going on, to worry about something that's going on in my family life, or to worry about something that's going on in a friend's life, or my own personal life, to worry about things that I didn't accomplish, that checklist that seems to never end, but just goes on and on of the things that I should have accomplished that I didn't get done this week. It's easy for me to get wrapped up into those things. And a Sabbath allows me to put all those things aside and to refocus on him, the thing that is most important. It's interesting, though, that as we think about this, as we understand that he calls us to these things, to rest, to enjoy, to rejoice, and to focus, we begin to understand that the, the Sabbath wasn't just something that God did for, him, for himself. It's something that he did for us. You go to Mark chapter 2, and Jesus says this specifically. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling and during their travels, they had gotten a little hungry, and so they plucked some grain and rubbed it between their hands. And the Pharisees say this in chapter 2 of Mark, verse 24. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and in, time, and in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying there is, this Sabbath thing was, was not created for you just to follow as a religious ritual, but rather it was created for you to enjoy. And yet so often the world and even sometimes unfortunately Christians see the Sabbath as a handcuff, that it restricts us from doing what we want to do, that, that it places restrictions on us from accomplishing things that we want to accomplish. And yet what Christ is, is saying here in this verse and in, in this passage is, no, it's not a handcuff. It's a gift that you've been given. Two examples that came to my mind this week as I was thinking about this was, one, a bedtime. I don't know about you, but growing up, bedtime was like the worst. And as an adult, bedtime is the worst. Like, everyone fights bedtime, right? Like, there's no, like... You could have a perfect angel all day long, and then you get to bedtime, and she's like, I want to do things my way, all right? And I was the same way as a child. I hated bedtime. I wanted to stay up and keep playing and keep watching whatever I was watching and doing whatever I was doing. But bedtime was not meant to be restrictive in the sense of a punishment. It was meant so that I would get the rest that I needed so the next morning I could enjoy those things all over again. In the same way, the Sabbath is not meant to be a handcuff to restrict you from anything. It's meant to be a moment when you can reset, refocus, re-energize so that the rest of the week you can go out and do it all over again. It's a good thing. It's a gift. The other thing that came to my mind was as we hired guys to do our drywall in the Sunday school wing, they, there was a discussion between the drywallers, myself and Greg, that, hey, guys, we don't want you to hang drywall on Sunday. 
And the, the reply came back something along the line, well, we can do that after you guys worship. We'll just come in the afternoon. And it was like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not about you distracting us or being noisy. It's we don't want you to work. Like God has designed us to take a day of rest. And there was a little bit of pushback, but they relented us being the ones that were hiring them. And so they took a day. And it was interesting that one of them came back on Monday, and him and I were having a discussion about his family and about other things. And, you know, he stopped me in the middle of that discussion. He said, you know, I kind of have to thank you for making us take a break. He goes, we're designed to work seven days a week to earn as much money for our families as we can. And he goes, even I, like, there are times that I'm working on a Sunday that there's some angst inside of me because I'm not with my kids, I'm not with my family, I'm, I'm taking time away from them to do a project. And he said, it's so nice to have that decision taken out of my hands. For me to say, I, I can't, I can't. I have to spend time with my family. I have to spend time with my kids. And he said there was such a freedom and a burden that was lifted off of my shoulders of not feeling like I had to be somewhere else, but I could be where I should have been all along. And we had a wonderful discussion about, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's a gift that we're given, really. And yet sometimes we take that gift and we look at it with scorn, but Sabbath is a wonderful thing that was made for us, that we may focus on him, that we may remember, as we've talked about in the definition of worship, is to value him above all things. It's a wonderful time for us to remember his value. And yet, we worship at a different time, so to speak. In the Old Testament, Sabbath was on a Saturday. It was the end of the week, the end of creation, then you rested. And yet when we look around now, we as believers, as Christians, we worship on a Sunday. And there would be some that would say, why do you do such a thing? Other denominations, the Jewish religion would decry us for, for not observing Sabbath on Saturday, but rather observing it on Sunday. So why do we observe on Sunday? Why do we worship today instead of yesterday in terms of gathering together as a church body? We're not going to spend a ton of time here, but just suffice to say two things. One, we have the completion of the Old Covenant. So the Old Testament, God had made an agreement with Israel, and this is how you are to live, how you are to approach me, and this is how I will be your God. And there was an agreement that was made, and it was in the blood of animals to cover the sin of the people that they may approach him and know him. And we see throughout the Old Testament, especially in the first five books, you see the, the law and the, the codification, and that's how they were to live. That's how they were to worship. But something, and the Sabbath is part of that, but something amazing happens we see in the New Testament, God comes in the flesh in Jesus Christ. He lives a perfect life, and he does something that the, the Gospels go back to over and over again. He fulfills the law. He fulfills every aspect of it because he is perfect. He doesn't forget one period or one comma. He covers it all. And then having done that, he lays down his own life as the ultimate sacrifice. He lays down his own life. He doesn't lay down the life of a bull or a goat or a pigeon. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lays down his life and he dies as the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate atonement for our sins. And then something even, and while he does that, as he breathes his last breath, 
he declares, it is finished. Man, that phrase covers a lot. It covers his work that he had come to accomplish. It covers our salvation that he had come to secure. It covers the old covenant which he completes. It is finished. And then something even more remarkable happens, if, if you can even say that. He rises again three days later on Sunday, the first day of the week. He comes out of that grave alive in the flesh and he establishes the new covenant which we fall under where God presents to us this amazing gift and says, if you will come and ask me for forgiveness of your sins and put your faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ, you will know me. You will know the creator of the universe and you will have life forever. It's a new covenant. And in this new covenant, we have a freedom. The New Testament tells us that we are no longer under the guardianship of the law. No longer are we beholden to the old covenant. And so we, as part of that, no longer are we under the restrictions of the Sabbath. But now we enjoy the Sabbath as it was always intended to be in the fullness to rejoice in what God has accomplished, to rejoice and to worship every day, not just on a Saturday. And so the church met and rejoiced and worshiped regularly and specifically they set aside Sunday, the day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior as a new Sabbath, so to speak, for a new covenant. The old Sabbath, looking at what God had accomplished in creation. The new Sabbath, looking forward to what he will accomplish in a new creation that will be perfect and eternal. And so we celebrate it. We celebrate this new Sabbath on Sunday. But here's the thing. If we focus upon one day, if we restrict our worship to one segment of our week or a few hours that we give up, then we have missed the bigger picture. If we restrict everything to an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning and said we have accomplished worship, we have accomplished the Sabbath, so to speak, then we have missed the bigger picture of Scripture. Going back to Psalm 92, where we started all of this, it says in verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, all day long. And then we skip over to 96, Psalm 96. You might not even have to turn a page. Some of you might, depending on your Bible. But you skip over to 90, Psalm 96, and in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. When? Tell of his salvation from day to day. So we worship in the morning. We worship in the evening. We worship day after day after day, which brings us to Hebrews chapter 13, the second passage that we read this morning. Verse 15, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. 
When do we worship? Yes, it is tied to a day of the week. But we worship continuously. All the time. <coughs> it should be a part of our normal pattern of being, of thinking. It's not limited to a day or a time or a season of life. Worship should mark the life of a believer. We looked last week, you'll, I, I spoke of at the beginning, we looked last week at where do we worship? And we came to the conclusion that certainly we are to gather into this place together with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship here for sure. But we worship everywhere we go because God dwells in us now. In the same way that we worship everywhere, we are to worship all the time. We're not to restrict it to one moment. But in every moment of life, whether it is in a conversation or whether it is in beholding creation or whether it is in, uh, in uh, the early morning hour when you're just sipping your coffee or whether it's when you're putting your kids to bed at night, they are moments of worship, which leads to the natural question, do we worship continuously? It leads to the question, do we do that does worship mark your life? Or does worship get put in a box to be accomplished just on Sunday morning so that then you can get on with the rest of your week? Which leads me to a second question. How would that change things? If we valued God above all things, if we worshiped continuously, how would this change everything? Do you think it might change our attitudes? As we go about our week and we experience the frustrations of life, as we experience the lows of life, as we experience the highs of life, do you think that having an attitude and a mindset of worship might change those things? Do you think it might change our relationships as we're in a conversation with individuals, whether it be good or bad, as we think about the things that the Lord has done in our life and who he is, do you think that if we had an attitude of worship, an attitude of valuing God above all other things, that it might change our relationships, our speech? Do you think it might change our priorities, our time schedules, our to-do lists? I venture, to, I venture to say that the answer to all of that is yes. If we, are to wor if we were to worship continuously, it would change everything. And so how do we do that? How do we worship continuously? I don't want to get too far down this road because we're going to spend the most of the summer, most of July and August looking at the question of how and going into each of these kind of in depth. But our passage gives us some, some clear instruction. Going back to Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Through him, through Jesus Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. So the first way that we worship continuously is we pay attention to the words that come across our mouth. Are they words? Are they thoughts? that signify the goodness of who he is and the value that he has to us. 
Do we worship him with our lips continually? Or the only time we worship, the only time we express our gratitude, the only time we express his greatness and his value is the only time we do that on a Sunday morning. Do we serve? Going to verse 16. Through him, or sorry, it's verse 16. Do you not neglect, do not neglect to do good. Do good things. That is an act of worship. Our actions. So our our words are how we worship continually. And then our service to him is how we worship continually. As we go through our week, do we look for opportunities? Do we look for open doors to serve him, to serve others, to serve the kingdom? Or do we become so focused upon our tasks that we run right by those things? So we serve. And then lastly, in our generosity. Going back to verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So how do we worship continuously? How do we keep this mindset of valuing God above all other things in a way that goes far beyond just worshiping on a Sunday? We do it through our speech, we do it through our actions, and we do it through our generosity. When we worship the creator of all things, we understand that he has given us all things that we would have nothing, including the breath that's in our lungs without him. And so it is natural then for us to hold up our hands and say, it is all yours anyway. How would you have me to use it? How would you have me to bless others the way that you have blessed me? In these ways, we worship continually The amazing thing about all of this is maybe the last line. He says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. They are pleasing to God. I would hope that as a believer that you could stand and testify about how God has brought joy into your life, how he has brought happiness into your life, how he has blessed you immensely. And so the question here is, do you desire to bring him joy? Do you desire to return it? As a believer, there should be something inside of you that desires to bring joy back to him. He says the way to do that is to worship. The way to do that is to worship me, to acknowledge me with to acknowledge him with your lips, to serve him with your actions, to be generous with your things. Think about this. This is not that much different than a relationship that we have with a husband or a wife, that they bring us joy, that they bring us goodness, that we appreciate. Otherwise, we should not have married them, okay? If they didn't bring you joy, I don't, I don't know why you entered into that covenant in the beginning, But they should bring you joy and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. And there should be something inside of you that desires to return that. To return that joy. To make sure that they are satisfied. That they are content. That they are fulfilled. And it's when we do that for each other that the the marriage relationship is lifted up. That it's magnified. That it operates the way that it should. And it's this beautiful example of what? Paul says it's a beautiful example of what the church and Christ are together. One, satisfying the other and bringing one another joy. Do you have that desire? 
Do we have it every day? Do you have that desire every day? Now, the answer for all of us is going to be no. (laughs) None of us do this perfectly, right? But do you have the regular desire when you roll out of bed in the morning and you've had that cup of coffee and you're sitting there thinking about your day? Do you have a desire? Or maybe as you're driving to work or maybe as you're accomplishing your tasks, do do things pop in your mind? I I want to bring him joy. How do I... How do I show him appreciation for all that he has done for me, for all that he's done for my family? Or have we become too familiar? Have we become too familiar? I think anyone that's been married for very long at all knows and has experienced that moment when you realize that you've just gotten used to that other person being there. And there's some expectations that you've grown for that other person being there. And maybe you stop trying quite as hard to impress them or to to bring them that joy of that moment. And you kind of have to be reminded by Valentine's Day or a birthday or an anniversary that we should have those desires on a regular basis. Sometimes I wonder if we haven't done the same thing to God. We haven't become overly familiar with his grace. We haven't become over familiar with his love and his protection. If we haven't taken him for granted a little bit, knowing that he has promised to be with us at all times, knowing that he's promised never to abandon us, that we have kind of taken all of that for granted and said, oh, I don't really need to do anything with that. Maybe that desire to bring him joy has cooled. Oh, friend, oh, believer, I pray that this morning that as we ponder these questions that we would have a desire to bring him joy, that we would have a desire to worship him, that we would look at the testimony of what we have done or what he has done in our lives and that we would desire to come back to that. The question of when do we worship is ultimately a call to worship. The question of when do we worship is ultimately a call to worship. It's a call to worship on Sunday, to worship together with brothers and sisters in one place at one time that we may join our voices and our attitudes and our presence to magnify his name, but it's not just on Sunday. It is a call to worship all of the time. It's a call to worship with our songs we sometimes put worship in a box and say that it's, that it's just the music. And certainly we do that. And certainly we've been commanded to worship him with our singing and with our songs and with our rejoicing. But it's not just our songs. It's in our words throughout the week. It's in our actions throughout the week. It's in everything that we do. It is a call to worship All the time with everything and it is a call to worship for his pleasure and for our joy. For our joy. Yes, he is satisfied. He is excited. He is thankful. He is uplifted. He is rejoicing when his people express his value. But it is to our blessing as well. Going back to Psalm 92, where we started, look at the very end of 
Look at the very end of that passage. Psalm 92, starting in verse 12. The righteous flourish. Who are the righteous? They are those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Brothers and sisters, when we worship him all the time, in every way, in every place, understand that it is a command, that it is something that brings him glory, but that it brings us blessing. And we look forward to the day, as we talked about last week, when we will stand in his presence and we will know him perfectly and we will worship him forever, all day, every day, in every way, for his glory and for our blessing. This morning, this morning as we think about this question, when do we worship? Brothers and sisters, we ask the question, do you worship all the time? Is it the mark of your life? Or have you grown cold? Have you taken him for granted? This morning as the praise team comes back up and we have a time of response we respond this morning, hopefully, in rejoicing. We've seen a sister join through baptism. We've heard the word. We've we remembered our own. Hopefully, we've remembered our own salvation. So there's certainly the act of singing and returning that worship to him this morning. Maybe, though, too, as you've heard these words, you're like, man, I, I've grown cold. I've, I've taken him for granted. I've confined worship to a, a time and a place and a box to check off during my week. You would just need to confess that and say, Lord, help me to worship you all the time. Help me to remember your goodness all the time. That it may come off my lips, that it may be seen in my actions and in my generosity. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe this morning you've seen the testimony of the gospel in baptism. You've heard of his goodness. You've heard of this great gift of the Sabbath that he's given us. And you realize that you don't have that relationship. Maybe you've been put underwater at some time in your youth. Maybe you've come to church your whole life. But you realize I've never had that relationship with him. I've never allowed him to be the Lord of my life. This morning, he's pushing on your heart. Will you come to him? Will you accept the gift? Ask him to forgive you of your sins and make a commitment to follow him the rest of your life. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for, for the amazing gifts that you've given us. Lord, we don't have time this morning to list all of the ways that you have blessed us. Even those of us that are sitting in this room this morning that have no relationship with us, you have blessed more than we could ever imagine Father, I pray that we would have an attitude of thankfulness. As we think about who you are, that we would have an attitude of worship to value you above everything else. To put everything else to the side. Father, I pray that, that we as believers, that our lives would be marked by worship, by the words that we say, by the things that we do. That people would know there's something different about them. 
and that it would be clear that it is our relationship with you that makes all the difference. Father, may we know your joy. May we know your presence, not just this morning, but all week. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.